1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This is DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hardity. Accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon. Brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Calls. Calling us calls made. Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products. The Scent Gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com The Hunter Conservation Website. Seems like things are starting to lighten up a little bit. We're being able to travel a little bit here in Texas, and as a result of that, I've got some trips coming up I'm kind of looking forward to, and thought I'd tell you a little bit about those this morning, and then I'd really like to continue on the theme of the, of the bear, the North American bear in particular. Greg Simons with Wildlife System has some properties scattered around Texas, and some of them are actually down in the lower valley of Texas that we call the King Ranch country because of the huge expansion of King Ranch down there. And some of those places have had exotics on them, meaning those animals not indigenous to Texas but to other parts of the world now since about the 1930s. That particular area has Nilgai, which are considered uh, the sacred blue bull of India. They were brought across from India many, many years ago. And based upon who you talk to, it kind of depends upon whether or not uh, they were released for a substitute for meat for the cowboys that uh, worked on the King Ranch, or then maybe they were just released by uh, a, tra- a traveling circus. So it just kind of depends who you're talking to. But since that time, several of those ranchers have decided to add some of the African animals, such as Gemsbach, Kudu, Waterbuck, Inyala, Impala, some of the Vildebeest species, subspecies. The Attics, which is uh, an antelope found initially and originally on the Sahara Desert, has big feet. It's got the spiral horn, but it's got ribs on the on the spiral horn, kind of like a, a black buck does, but with not the tight curls that a, that, a, that a black buck does. Very much endangered in their own country. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure, but I don't think there are hardly any of them left other than those that were introduced from Texas as gifts of Texas ranchers to the government of Chad and, and some of the other African governments. Also there on the Sahara Desert were found the what they used to call white oryx. These days are more commonly referred to as scimitar horn oryx. These are animals that weigh about 350, 400 pounds. They have kind of a russet neck and shoulder, and then the rest of it is a brilliant white. 
They too have fair sized feet so that they can, or hooves if you will, so that they can run on the the desert sands and those animals have done extremely well again in, in their native country they're essentially gone except for those that have been brought back to their homeland from the, the populations that we have here in texas going to get to go down and hunt similar horn orcs and my intentions are is once i get down there is to do kind of a running commentary of the hunt try to have a it's a three-day hunt with the wildlife systems as i mentioned with greg simons and if you want to learn more about that hunt and some of the others that he have he has you can go to www.wildlifesystems.com and that'll get you to his website and also to his facebook page and maybe a few other places and get you all kinds of information so I'm anxious to get on that trip, to be quite frank with you. It's going to be my first opportunity to get out. But before I get there, I want to talk to you today a little bit about DSC and how important Dallas Safari Club is as far as world conservation of wildlife. They do a tremendous amount of work and tremendous amount of, of effort to make certain that wild populations and wild lands throughout the world here in North America Africa, Asia, Europe, probably even Australia now, to make certain that we have wild lands with wild animals. Hunting through conservation, or conservation through hunting, depends on how you want to put it, but if the, the value of those animals comes in as far as the economic value to the local people. If the local people have an economic value on animals, then guess what? They're going to protect the habitat and they're going to protect the animals because they know that it's going to bring in dollars, but it also gives them a certain satisfaction about being able to perpetuate those species that they have on properties that they have some control over. DSC does so much in terms of research and supporting research through the DSC Foundation and also in parts of Africa to help prevent poaching. Poaching can be an absolutely huge problem in some of those areas and during hard economic times those poaching operations if you will some of them that are very extensive and, and very large get even bigger and the animals that they take get bigger as well too and still have some black market values on, on things like rhino and, and a few other things out there and so one of the things that dsc does through the dsc foundation is provide monies to help with the prevention of poaching or to hopefully eliminate it but if they can't eliminate it at least maybe they can can cut it down to where it doesn't have that huge and negative effect on the animals that are there now, with all that said, we, we've talked a little bit about DSC, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about the hunting Alaskan brown bear. In past episodes, we've talked about hunting black bear. We've talked about hunting grizzly bear. To me, the Alaskan brown bear is one of the most magnificent animals there is on the face of this earth. Big bears that weigh in excess of a 1,000 pounds and can stand up 10, 12 feet when they're standing up on their hind legs to the tip of their nose or the top of their head are pretty impressive. They're one of the largest, and probably are when you get right down to it, they're the largest predator on the face of the earth. Big African lions may weigh 500 pounds. They talk about tigers of, of, of India in years past maybe weighing 800 pounds or in some instances even a little bit more but get right down to it there is no larger predator on the face of the earth in terms of terrestrial habitat 
meaning things that live on the ground, than the Alaskan brown bear. Now, the brown bear population seems to be doing extremely well. This is a result of proper management through hunting, giving them a huge value, and the fact that because there is a value there, there's various seasons, various bag limits. In some instances, you can only hunt a black a brown bear every four years or every third year, depending on uh, the area. Some areas they hunt during the springtime, and then that area is closed down during the fall, and maybe it won't be open again until the next fall. And some they just switch flop back and forth, where you hunt them one year in the spring and then one year in the fall. And but the populations of brown bear scattered across. I'm sorry, scattered across that part of Alaska, meaning the the coastal brown bear and into the Kodiak area. Admiralty Island has got some unbelievable numbers of of bear in in terms of of Alaskan brown bear. The coastal areas have got some huge bear. Kodiak Island has long been known for absolute monster, monster, huge, huge bear. And... uh, had the opportunity to hunt some of those. They're found on the peninsula as well, too, that stretches all the way into the Bering Sea, headed toward toward Russia, if you will. Dreamed of hunting brown bear kind of like I did grizzlies for many, many years and really was concerned that probably I would never have the opportunity to do so because each year cost of these hunts goes up a little bit and because so much goes into it the preparation and and having boats and having camps having planes that can get you these certain areas and the amount of days that it takes to generally hunt a brown bear so i thought well you know maybe one of these days and this is long ago and then i ran into a person who became a very dear friend and hunting partner over the years jerry baker when i lived in, in abilene worked there as a wildlife biologist and then I really got to know Jerry when we moved to Uvalde and uh, kind of heard about him because he was from San Angelo a little bit. I knew that Jerry had, had was from that area, was a big hunter around San Angelo and actually moved to Alaska so that he could set up his, uh, <laughs> his, his business up there, his accounting business, and uh, hunt Alaska. And he did so, and he finally moved back to Uvalde. And about the time he moved back to Uvalde, he and I got to be friends and... In his office, he had the had a full body mount of a really nice brown bear, and it wasn't an absolute monster. It was probably about an eight and a half foot bear, which is is a good bear, but not that ten foot bear that most people talk about and dream of and and kind of build up as being the biggest thing there ever was. And I kind of agree with him, quite frankly. That ten foot bear that squares that amount is an absolute huge, huge animal. Well, Jerry was very good friends with the Branhams, and. Uh, in Alaska, including Chris Branham and, and uh, uh, Dennis and Millie Branham as well, too. And they had Branham's guide service up there. And one year, Jerry decided he was going to go back. He wanted to kill a big bear. He'd, he'd shot two, three of them over the many years and that he was there. And a couple times they returned after he got back. And he called me one day and said, Larry, you want to go hunt a brown bear? He said, I got a special deal that, that I put together with Chris and, and uh uh, if you can get up there, he said, I've got, uh, I'd like for you to come. And he says, oh, by the way, he said, if you don't mind, he said, why don't you holler at Jay Nowacek? At that time, Jay was playing for the Dallas Cowboys still, but loved to hunt. And Jay and I, too, have gotten to be friends at that point. And so I picked up the phone, called Jay, and I said, Jay, you're interested in an Alaskan brown bear hunt with the Branhams on the peninsula. I said, not, uh, 
not too far, kind of on the wa big water side of, of Lake Iliamna, where the, the, the ocean meets the, the peninsula there. And he goes, absolutely, what are the dates? And uh, gave him the dates. And next thing you know, we're, we're bound for Alaska to hunt Alaskan brown bear. Now, at the time, I was doing a fair amount of handgun hunting. A fair amount of handgun hunting with a variety of guns. I was the uh, handgun hunting editor for a publication called Handgunning, which was kind of a sister publication of Shooting Times, where I also served as the hunting editor. <clears throat> so I got hold of a 454 Casul and uh, a revolver, and God, I was thrilled with that thing. And I shot it a fair amount of times there in Texas, and using some Hornady loads that we'd built up, to, uh, kind of special hand load type things that a friend of mine put together for me. And I felt very, very comfortable with it. It shot a hog or two with it as well, too, and so I knew kind of what the downrange energy would do to an animal when it hit it, and uh, knew a little bit about, you know, shot it enough to where I felt very comfortable in making shots out to 75 to 100 yards. So my firearm of choice on my first brown bear hunt was a 454 Casul. As it worked out, it turned out to be one of the most, <laughs> most difficult most toughest, and I realize that's a double superlative, but the most toughest hunt I've ever been on. Normally, the bear we were told were going to be right at the snow line or just below the snow line. As the snow melts, moving up the hill, up the slopes, that's where the green grass comes, and that's where the bear go to coming out of hibernation. That's where they go to try to get as much energy as what they can and, and fill their bellies fairly quickly. Well, as it worked out, when we got up there, guess what? They'd had virtually no snow at all that year. It, uh, the area that we were going to hunt, there was a little bit of snow at the very tops of the mountains. As it worked out, we camped right on the water's edge, the ocean's edge, and then we would go find a point and sit and glass for hours and hours and hours. And occasionally you'd see an animal, and occasionally, well, I'll put it this way, most time you didn't. Saw a couple of bears so far off, there just knew there wasn't any way to get to them. And uh, decided, well, maybe we need to change our tactics a little bit. And, and uh, we started kind of moving around, started walking kind of up higher a little bit, hoping that we could find some bear in the backcountry. Now, those hills or mountains right there, if you will, are not that terribly tall. They're about 2,500, 3,000 feet. But if you start off now at sea level and you're going almost straight up, that's a pretty daunting hike to crawl to every day. And, and we'd get up on top and then sit in glass up there. And just we're not doing a whole lot of good. Uh, Jerry had seen a couple of the younger bear, and, and uh, that was kind of really about it. Jay, I think, had, had seen one good-sized bear, and, and they tried to get onto it. And it was long gone before they could even get anywhere close to him kind of came down to pretty much the, the last part. I had a guy that I was hunting with at the time, Joe Polanco, absolutely fantastic guy and a great guide, also a, a, a fellow handgun hunter. And, and so I was really thrilled spending time with him talking about hunting with different handguns. Came down to one afternoon, we or one morning, and we got crawled up that first little level and looked way, way across and Lo and behold, it, it looked like there was some bear working up there. You could see where they dug up some things and thought, well, that's the freshest sign we've got. So we started going up to the next little level, and, and guess what? Glassed again, and, and here's a bear feeding way up there on top. 
Joe and I took off at a run, and what made this one of the toughest hunts I've ever done is that we would drop into these ravines. And if you're not familiar with alders, uh, they can be a devil to crawl to. So we had to deal with, with alders crawling through those. And then you'd get on these open slopes going up these uh, sides of the, of the hills, and there's permafrost underneath. And you would crawl hand over hand almost to the top to where you could reach up, grab that top level, and pull yourself up. And guess what? Everything would turn loose, and you'd slide all the way back down to the bottom. This went on all day long, and, and thankfully the bear that we saw was still over there and, and found a place to lay down, and <clears throat> it was just a, a, a perfect situation, but a horrible situation to get to, and just kept going and kept going, and I, I'm so tired, and finally I was to the point almost of telling Joe, I said, I don't know that I can go any farther, and we got to that next little ridge and looked up there and about, oh, a good 400, 500 yards away, here was this bear that we'd been watching all day long, digging for whatever it was, <laughs> digging for up there, on the, almost on the crest of this slope. Oh my God, I was tired and worn out and just couldn't know, even think about wanting to go any farther, but that bear just kept pulling me forward and then Joe would say Larry 25 more yards and I'd make 25 more yards and think okay what are we going to do now and he'd go okay 25 more yards the bear was opposite of slope on the slope that we were on through the bottom of this draw rather large draw canyon if you will was a glacial glacial stream it was about almost chest deep and running fast we got down to it and go, oh my gosh, that bear's up there about 300, 350 yards. Only way to it, don't have a rifle to use. Don't want to shoot it with a rifle. I want to shoot it with my handgun. What did anything do? We just kind of jump in that water and get kind of washed down the way a little bit and caught a hold on the other side and crawled out. And I, I guess the cold water kind of gave me a little bit of an extra boost. Got up there and started crawling again, and the slope was probably about 45, 50 degrees going up, and, and, uh, and then it kind of leveled out, and then it'd get back up to that 45, 50 degree angle, and Joe kept saying, 25 more yards, 25 more yards. We finally got to within about 100 yards, and I thought, you know, if I can slip up there to that rock without being determined, now that rock was a, was a boulder poking out there, and Walked finally up there, laid down, got a good solid rest with that uh, 454 Casul revolver, single action, cocked the hammer, put that bear's shoulders right on the, on the uh, uh, put that crossroads, crosshairs right on the shoulder. And I could hear Joe behind me, saying, Larry, I think we can get 25 more yards. And I turned around to him and I said, Joe, this is as far as I can go. It's either here, I know I can hit him from right here. So I took several deep breaths and kind of got my heart rate back down to, to where it needed to be and had a good solid rest across that rock and started putting pressure to that trigger. And when I shot, it had a fairly nice trigger on that on that revolver. And when I shot, it saw it hit, saw it hit the bear. I mean, it, it, it kind of lost it in recoil out of the pistol sights, out of the scope, but I was watching with my other eye and that bear did a total flip, a total 180. He was standing on his front, on his four feet. He rolled over and landed on his four feet again, this time just maybe about five yards closer. And I very quickly put another round into him, this time a little bit behind the shoulder and the bear fell. 
Now, the bear's up there about 70 yards, and I am so excited, but I am also so blooming tired that it took me 30 minutes to cover that last 70 yards. Normally, I would have sprinted up there, and, and but as it worked out, I just got up there finally, and, and uh, I was so thankful. I mean, absolutely beautiful bear. It turned out to be an, an old dry sow that was... I can't remember how old she was. I, I sent the teeth in later, but uh, she probably weighed, oh, I have no idea what she weighed, but she, she squared almost nine feet, just absolutely beautiful hair. I was so thrilled, and, and we but so tired, and we took a few photographs, very few photographs compared to what I normally do. It was now getting late uh, and, and after I shot Chris and, and uh, Jerry, who'd been sitting on a ridge, back above the bear actually and and quite a way up there uh they came down we we did our congratulatory things and and uh skinned the bear and started back down to the water's edge where we left the skiff and therein is another thing that made this hunt so very tough we had to go down to shoot. Finally, Chris said, uh, let me go down and, and see if we can get down this way because he said, we may get to a point and there'll be a ledge and we can't get down. He said, I'll go down that way a little bit and, and uh, if y'all hear me shoot, then y'all come on. If you don't hear me shoot, y'all are just going to have to stay there and, you know, until I get there and we'll try to find another way out of this place. Well, about 30 minutes go by and we finally hear... Chris shoot down at the bottom and so Joe takes off and Jerry takes off right behind him and I'm bringing up the rear and we cross this rock slide or they cross this rock slide and Joe grows across and and uh, Jerry grows across and just about the time we we're doing it one at a time because really concerned about this rock slide going out from underneath us and uh, going all the way down to the ocean's edge and wasn't a ride we either one of us really wanted to do. So we were taking one at a time. We're going one at a time. Jerry gets almost across to the other side with about five or six steps left. And very slowly, this entire rocky hillside starts sliding. Now, I don't want to be left behind, so I take off at a run. Don't know where the energy came from, but I took off a run, kind of angling downhill, and this whole thing is sliding while I'm running, and I'm just bouncing from rock to rock to rock to rock to rock. And and Jerry and, and uh, Joe up on the other slope over there, hollering encouragement, saying, go, come on, go, 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 kind of thing. And, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. And just as I get almost to the edge of where this rock slide ends it's going down the hill now i see just below me on that little little kind of almost a little uh, a little peninsula if you will that kind of jutted out into it and looked like it was solid rock except for uh, maybe from maybe a little bit of a birch or some kind of oak not oak but some kind of tree there a little alder or whatever as i got close to it i just dove to it grabbed a hold of that that vegetation with one hand and to that little piece of rock sticking out there and hung on and, and watched as this entire hillside slid down to the ocean and of course at the time I'm thinking about personal survival more than anything else and about time it kind of stops I'm thinking oh my god Chris was down below surely this thing didn't fall down on top of Chris and about that time we hear Chris holler y'all okay you know you just barely hear it and we're Jerry and, and uh, Joe holler back and say, yeah, more or less. 
So we finally get down to the water's edge after several more little slides and, and more problems with permafrost and vegetation growing on top of it, sliding out from underneath us. Get back to camp and, and uh, spread the height out a little bit, make sure that it's going to get cool and for the night. And I crawl into my sleeping bag, and I think I slept 12 hours, which is something I never do, and waked up the next morning, and I was stove up and sore, but also absolutely fantastically happy that I'd taken a, a, my first Alaskan brown bear. Uh, what an adventure, uh, not only in, in taking the bear, but what happened afterwards. One of those things I'm truly glad I experienced, but not one of those things at my age I want to experience again. Over the years, too, I'd gotten to know Wayne Wood with Wayne Wood Outfitting. I'd had several people that I knew that hunted with Wayne and shot some absolutely huge monster 10-foot bear. And I was doing some PR work and working media for a gun company and set some hunts up for those guys with, uh, with Wayne. And... We were at a DSC convention, and I'd been wanting to go brown bear hunting. And as we were last afternoon, everything was over with. Wayne and I just kind of met up together, and we were walking back to the hotel to spend the night. And I asked him about, and I said, "You want to have dinner tonight? I'd love to spend some time visit. Here's some of your brown bear stories." <clears throat> so while we're sitting there, he goes, uh, "He said, Larry, said, when are you going to come up? You, you come, ever going to come up and hunt brown bear with me?" And I said, "What do you got open this year?" He said, well, I got this, this, and this, these dates. And I said, have you got a contract? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He handed me a contract. I handed him a signed contract and a down to, uh, a deposit for the, the, the hunt. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm ready to go brown bear hunting. Well, as it worked out that year, it turned out to be just one tremendous year when it came to big predators because in that particular year, I'll tell you about the brown bear in a little bit, but I also shot an African lion that we tracked in the sands in Africa and also a grizzly later on that same year in Alaska that I shot my brown bear because the fiscal year for licenses ends, I think, like either July 31st or July 1st or something like that. And so as it worked out, I could hunt spring, brown bear in the spring, license changed. I could hunt grizzly bear that fall. I checked with all the game department officials and we, we got it done. And that's how I ended up taking the, the second grizzly that I took. But finally, my hunt came. I decided I was going to take a, a, a Ruger Model 77 African in a 375 Ruger, which is You'll hear me say many times over my favorite round of all times. I was shooting the 270 soft grain bullets that uh, Hornady puts together in their commercial loads, and this rifle shot it absolutely beautifully. I uh, knew that my shots probably weren't going to be that long, so we basically sat it in for 75 yards, but also shot it a little bit farther out and a little bit closer, so I knew. And they finally arrived, and we flew up to uh, uh, Cordova, Alaska. Spent the night. Wayne picked me up the next morning. We bought all the licenses and all those things we needed so I could hunt. Uh, put me on a plane that afternoon, and, and we flew into his bear camp, kind of halfway between the Cordova and, and Valdez. And I won't tell you about all the other things that went on, but we got on to several small bears, had an absolutely fantastic time, and, and in the process of getting on some of these small bears from camp across the bay, which was covered up with reefs underneath the water. We spotted a big blonde sow and a huge, huge dark colored bear. 
Wayne told me, so Larry says, we can't get there now. He said, because the, the, the waters won't let us get there. The, the, uh, rather, the, the reefs won't let us get there. He said, but there was a uh, big herring spawn there. And he says, no doubt there's a, a, there are a lot of fish there. Still a lot of that road hanging around up there. And he said, I think that bear is going to stay there. And he's there with a the female. As long as that female stays there, he'll stay there. So as it worked out several days later, he came to me and he said, okay, grab your gear. He said, today we can get into the place. He said, just take a sleeping bag, take your rifle and uh, something to carry some water in. And we're going to go set up a dry camp uh, right on the water's edge. And we'll start looking for this bear. It worked out almost the second afternoon that we were there. Uh, we spotted this bear chasing this sow a long way off and took off at a run trying to get to where we might be able to see him. And there was uh, a shoreline, a strip of brush, then more open ears, and then a long kind of heavy covered, tall, 12 foot tall, almost a spit of land kind of peninsula that ran for about a mile or so back up into the hills. And while we were a long way from camp, guess what? We saw the big boar in the south, and they were probably 30 yards from where our tent was set up. Uh, had we stayed in the tent, stayed right there, and, and maybe not seen them a long way off, chances are we'd have shot the bear, that big bear that afternoon. It didn't work out that way. Then we started hunting seriously for this bear, and uh, did not want to go back in some of the other areas where we thought we might leave our scent and scare him out of there. So we basically just kind of sat in glass and watched the shoreline. And one afternoon we spotted this bear and he was farther down the shoreline, about a, about a mile away. We took off at a run and we got within about 400 yards where this bear was feeding right on the edge of the brush. And just about that time, that bear walked into the brush and Wayne said, let's, let's move up about 200 yards closer. We'll sit down and we'll wait for him. Surely he'll come back out. The wind was blowing in our face. We thought, man, this is a perfect setup. We got the scent on the bear. The bear's going to come. We're going to shoot the bear. Well, guess what? We've been sitting there maybe a grand total of about five minutes, and all of a sudden the wind changed from our face to at our back, and Wayne and I kind of looked at each other and immediately left and went back to camp and started glassing. Um, Another time, we, we, we spotted this bear again, or one that was on, not so sure actually that it was the same bear, but it was an absolute monster bear. The, uh, the, the bear that we saw that afternoon looked like he might have been a little bit more brownish colored than the, the almost dark chocolate bear that, that we had seen, the big one that we were after. Again, we got within about four or 500 yards of him, and all of a sudden the wind changed, and we just kind of went back and... You know, going, oh my gosh, is this ever going to happen? We had a great time watching whales. The whales were out there every afternoon. The otters were playing all over the place. There was all kinds of waterfowl. And everything could not have been more fantastic in terms of, of being able to sit there and watch and glass and, and really have an enjoyable hunt. But time was passing. Came down to where we had probably maybe two or three days left. Uh, I, I, Dwayne had told me, Larry, you can stay a little bit longer if you have to and because and, I really want to get you a good bear. And I said, man, I'll do so and I'll worry about getting home later. And But we had about two or so more days left before we knew that uh, the tide was going to be such that uh, we weren't going to be able to get out of this place for any length of time. So we thought, well, we've got two more days of hunting. Let's take advantage of it. That same day, we spotted this big, burly-looking bear a long way off where we'd seen him before, and we immediately took off, took off at a run, 
at a trot, if you will, and, and trying to go find this bear and hoping he stayed out on the water's edge. And we got up there within about 300 yards, and he walked in the brush, and all of a sudden the wind changed, and again we decided, well, let's just walk back to camp. So we walked back to our little two-man tents that we had set up there and, and uh, said, well, let's grab a bite to eat. And we had just put on some water to make some coffee and looked over to our left and about, oh, half a mile to three-quarters of a mile away, here, here's this bear that we're after. He is with this very beautiful blonde sow bear, and, and uh, he is pushing her. And without ever even saying a word, I mean, we I grabbed my rifle, grabbed that 375 river and a handful of hornady shells, and away we went. And we hit it off in the direction where the bear was. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there was a shoreline, a little strip of, of, of timber, and then an open area, and then this heavily brushed peninsula, if you will, of that was about 12 foot tall and about 20 foot wide, and it, it ran for about a mile and a half back up into the into the mainland. We started working our way up that way and trying to keep an eye on the bear, and we finally get it into a situation where we're running out of cover, and if we're going to have a chance of this bear, it's going to have to happen in the next few moments, and I'm hoping the sow will keep coming the way she is. And I'm all set up, and Wayne's to my left with a range fiber binocular going. She's 200 yards, 990 yards, 175 yards, and I'm watching through the scope. I've got shooting sticks set up. I am locked in solid on this bear on the bear's shoulder, and, and uh, the bear keeps coming at about 150 yards. The sow turns, and like she's going to walk kind of totally broadside to us, but maybe also turn and go right back where she came from. And as she did, the bear, I was the old big boar. I mean, he's huge. He was unbelievably big, just the biggest chunk of chocolate I'd ever seen. And crosshairs were solidly on him, and that bear stopped momentarily, just for a second when he was broadside. And when he did, I told I had told uh, uh, Wayne, I said, Wayne, as soon as I pull the trigger, we want to kill this bear on the spot. As soon as you know that I've hit this bear, I have no problem with you putting a second shot into him and let's put this bear down where we can. I shot. As soon as I shot, Wayne shot, and the bear took off at a run, and I waited for him to turn, and, and I tried to put one so where I could kind of quarter from the kind of the last rib into to the heart and lung area and, and did so, and, and Wayne shot a, a, another time, and all four shots hit this bear. Two of those shots should, we thought at the moment, should have been, they should have been lethal. That bear shouldn't have gone very far, but the bear ran in some some thick, tall grass and disappeared, and we hit it that way, and, and by the time we got there, this bear had gone through that grass, there was quite a bit of blood, gone through a little kind of marshy area, gotten onto what this little 12, went up a 12-foot embankment, got on top of this embankment, and then started going back into the what would be considered the mainland, away from the end of the peninsula on this little 12 feet tall, 20 foot wide, brushy, covered, nasty, dead gum, thick as it can be kind of thing. And we waited a little bit, and the reason I mentioned that is because it wasn't very long after we, we waited for probably about 15 minutes and thinking, well, we've got to go find this bear, and reloaded everything, put made sure the scopes were all cranked down, and started working our way toward where the bear had gone up this 12 foot embankment. And, and again, there there's blood, it's a steep embankment embankment he gets on top and he starts going right down the top of that embankment 
and it is so thick there's no way that that Wayne and I can hardly stand up there's alder on top there there are big trees up on top with limbs close to the ground and and we're in a situation where if the bear is not dead and he's coming to us he's going to be honest before we have a chance to do much of anything so we're in a, in a <laughs> you talk about in a hyper sense of of uh of, of excitement and a hyper sense of what's going to happen and, and all those kind of things. And we're looking, and there's a pretty decent blood. And it shows a little bit of heart and I mean, look like uh, lung blood, kind of frothy. And also some muscle blood, which was obvious from some of the other shots, the, the maybe the the two shots, two other shots. But I know later on we found out that Wayne, where Wayne had hit him and where I had hit him. And, and uh we get on this trail of this bear, and I mean, I, we knew this bear was a monster because where you could could see his his track, uh, that front foot was about a little over nine inches wide, which is a huge, huge bear. And this bear's got every advantage on us, although he's been shot, and we follow this blood trail, and we can see maybe 10, 15 feet ahead of us most of the time, and we're crawling cautiously. I mean, literally on our hands and knees. Occasionally, you could get up on your knees and kind of look over the top of a little vegetation, and then it would disappear in all this thick alder, and, and oh my gosh, it was, you talk about a, a, a sticky situation not knowing for sure that the bear was dead, not knowing where he would come, if he might circle around from behind us, if he'd come around from the sides. Even if he came straight at us or from any direction, there'd be maybe a grand total of about six feet between you and the bear when you pull the trigger. And Oh, my gosh. It was it was really on the spooky side, quite frankly. And, and I'm sure Wayne and I both saying a few prayers, saying, hey, may this bear be dead up there. And, we followed this bear probably about 400 yards, and now we're kind of concerned a little bit that we followed this bear this far. Maybe the, the shots that we hit were not quite as uh, vitally effective as what we had hoped for. We keep on this trail. I mean, you talk about so excited, so spooked, so everything, you know, just not knowing what's going to happen next or when it's going to happen. and. We got to a place underneath a big old uh, conifer tree, and the nice red squirrels or whatever it is I have up there had, had cut a bunch of these cones. So there was a whole lot of those little 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 wispy-looking cone pieces laying on the ground, and you could see where this bear had laid down, rubbed in those like he was trying to, to staunch or make that blood quit flowing, and where he rolled in it, and then he, you could follow the tracks. You could see his claw marks more than you could anything else. He, we realized later, and at the moment, too, that he had really long claws. But you could follow these claw marks. There was no blood, but you could see where he went. So we're crawling along, crawling along. We make another maybe about 75 to 100 yards, and we get to a spot, and it's just... All of a sudden, again, it looks like somebody just cut something, and there was fresh blood right there. I mean, it hadn't. There was no coagulation. There was nothing. It was as fresh as if it, you cut your finger and watch a drop hit the ground. And I thought, oh my God, he's got to be close. He's got to be close. And we look up a little bit, and we can see at about 20, 20, maybe twenty feet at one point right there. And there's this huge old log laying over, and we watch this log going. Oh my God, that'd be a perfect place for a bear to to lay him ambush and 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 wait on us. Then we're looking really close, and you can see just the tips of hair moving on the backside of this log. Just the slightest little waving of hair. And we're not sure whether it's breathing or whether it's that slight breeze that is blowing from that 
spot to us. And we're going, oh my gosh. So both Wayne and I move around, sit down on our backsides, both point our guns right at this place to where if this bear comes, we're going to do our best to kill him before he gets on top of us. Although it's not going to be much time or space to do that. And we sit there for probably, seemed like for hours, but it's probably maybe maybe seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. And finally, Wayne said, Larry says, I'm going to, you be ready. He says, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a little piece of wood here. He said, I'm going to toss it across and hopefully hit him. If he comes, be ready. He says, I will be too, but you're going to have to shoot and you're going to have to cover me when I do it because it's going to put me out of position. So you be ready to shoot. So I am so intently looking at this spot and he throws this little piece of wood and, and there's no movement. We go, well, maybe maybe the bear's dead or maybe he's really laying there just waiting for us to make a, a serious move to where he, we do something stupid or where he can see us. And so Wayne reaches over and grabs a little bit of a beer stick and he throws it at him and uh, just behind that log and, and there's no movement. Now, unfortunately, the way this little peninsula was where this bear was laying behind this log, there was no way to work away around to the backside of it to see. So finally we figure, well, if he comes, he comes. So Wayne and I both stand up and break a bunch of sticks real quick and, and point our guns in, in the direction of where this bear is laying and, and, and there's no movement. And Wayne again picks up a little bit bigger stick and throws a crossover and, and again, there's there's no movement. And now we're hoping dearly that this bear really is dead. And we kind of ease up to that big, huge log, which was about almost chest high to me. and. Uh, Look on the bear peak over the other side, and here's this monster of a bear, unbelievably huge bear laying there. Wayne takes his rifle and he pokes the bear to, to his head. There's no movement. He pokes him harder. There is no movement. Now we're both poking this bear. There is no movement. So we kind of crawl up on top of the log, get on the other side, and here's this bear of several lifetimes. Uh, a bear that I know is going to got a square over 10 feet. He's got an absolute huge head. His hair is absolutely perfect. He is the most beautiful light colored chocolate bear you've ever seen. Kind of a uh, almost a Hershey colored bear, if you will. Hershey chocolate colored bear. Not a hair out of place. No rubs. Claws that were in the front feet about anywhere from four to almost six inches long. Apparently the bear had not been out of hibernation too very long, so he hadn't worn them off. And You talk about a, a moment of, of absolutely fantastic jubilation, of relief, of every imaginable sensation, I guess, that, that, that a human being can feel is, is, is what I felt, including a little bit of sadness when you're right down to it of, of this big bear. But and now this adventure is over. Uh, I'm not an adrenaline junkie, but I'll have to tell you, crawling on hands and knees after what we thought was a wounded bear, or at that time probably was a wounded bear, was a, uh, <laughs> that was pretty exciting. It was one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting moment I've ever had when it comes to hunting. The bear was huge. And uh, we just kind of quickly looked at him, and, and uh, Wayne told me, Larry said, this bear is going to go at least, right at 10-6. He says, there's no doubt. He said, looking at the head, he said, it won't surprise me if it won't go Bunny Crockett over something over 28-inch skull and, and, uh, and all the congratulations and a few photos. By now, it's getting really late, so there's not really a whole lot of time to do a whole lot of photos. So we get what photos we can. We got the bear. We cover him up with 
all kinds of different things, including our jackets and uh, everything that we have that might smell bad in hopes that if, if another bear comes by, which we doubt that it will where he was, but so that bear doesn't end up eating him. Um, we head back to camp and absolutely have a huge celebration that night. Uh, eating things that we'd been saving, eating twice as much as we should have, crawled into, uh, crawled in our sleeping bags and the next morning got up and walked back to where the bear was and took some photographs and, and uh, started skinning this bear and I, I lost my hunting knife and the only knife that uh, Wayne had was a little Swiss Army knife and I had a little Swiss Army knife, one of the little, one with about an inch and a half blade in my backpack and as kind of a secondary thing and so wayne woods and i skinned this what turned out to be 10 feet quite five inch bear boone and crockett bear with it and 10 feet five without any stretch we could easily stretch it to where it called it 11 foot bear we skinned this bear out with two swiss army knives both with about an inch and a half long blade Oh man, absolutely fantastic bear. Just the, the memories of it now just just causing it to me have kind of chills up and down my spine. Uh, absolutely a fantastic overall adventure in a huge bear and a beautiful bear. And today, he's full full body mounted. Today he's at uh, he's he's in uh, in on display there in in Dallas and. Uh, one of these days I'll tell you a little bit more where you can find him. Uh, absolutely huge, huge bear, but he's on display in Dallas in a sporting goods store and we'll tell a story about where you can find him and maybe do a blog about uh, moving the bear to, to the sporting goods store in, in, in the future somewhere in one of the DSC things that I do. Wayne still hunts brown bear. As far as I'm concerned, it's Wayne Woods outfitting and there is no finer outfitter in the world when it comes to brown bear. And our for bigger bear. Wayne's clients have taken some of the biggest square and bear there are in the world. And uh, if there's a hunt that I could go back to and good Lord willing, I can come up with some extra money down the way. The one hunt I'd like to do again is, is, is I'd love to go back after another big brown bear. I'd probably take the same 375 Ruger and M77 Laskin and with the Trijicon scope on it that I put on it quite a long time ago and continue to use today and and some of the uh i'll probably use the 300 dgx hornady loads they've done me well in, in different things in africa on everything from uh elephant to uh, different species of buffalo to hippos to you name it even even a uh, huge african lion Nothing like it. To me, the, the Alaskan brown bear, as I said in the beginning of this thing, is the world's greatest, largest, all the superlatives, predators there is when it comes to me. And there's nothing that comes close to the adventure of hunting them. Hope you'll get an opportunity to uh, visit the biggame.org website. And if you're not a member, sign up there. We really need your membership, particularly in these days that we're looking at with uh, having the results of COVID-19 and some of the efforts of the anti-hunters that are occurring and some of the poaching things that are going on throughout the world. We really need your support. So next week, no telling where we'll go to. Uh, one of these days, we'll start telling some whitetail stories and, and uh, raise some mule deer and elk and, and a few others. And once I can get out again, 
uh, I'll start getting in touch with some old friends to have them tell a few hunting stories and a few things about what they've been experiencing and what they hunts they've been on. And, and uh, hopefully we can entertain you just a little bit. And also maybe there'll be something that you can glean from all this talking and, and uh, find it as a, a bit of information. So until next time, enjoy the, the week. Enjoy your time with your family if you're stuck at home. And say a few prayers that we'll get through this in great shape and kind of start getting ready for hunting season. It's just around the corner. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, callness calls made. Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas-raised hunting products, the scent gods, www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com, the Hunter Conservations' website. Through the blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.